first time to do a podcast in this room and we're very very excited about it. I am even more excited about our guest this morning. Um, we will be talking with uh, Don Jansen who's a retired director of animal health for San Diego Zoo Global and uh, Don spent many many years with the zoo and has a wealth of experience and a wealth of stories of uh, his care for those animals, but also his care uh, for quite a large team of individuals who work with those animals. So I am absolutely confident that you are going to really enjoy Don this morning. Don, it's great to see you once again. Oh, it's good to be here. Yeah. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. And thank you for the blog that you wrote for us recently. And we're going to be talking about that blog this morning in greater detail. It was called Preventing Conflict by Learning to Like People, which is a great, clever title. I really love it. Um, and you can find that blog on our website. But to get us started, um, Don, would you share your story um, about the visit from the Dean of UC Davis Veterinary School and um, his views about liking animals more than people? Yeah, that was really a, a gift that he gave me back then. And, you know, I was drawn to animals as a as a kid. And when I went to uh, was in high school, I got a job working with a veterinarian, and, and it clicked with me. I knew mm -hmm. that's what I wanted to do. So I was a pre-vet major in college when I was at uh, Fresno State, and the dean came to talk to our pre-vet group, and uh, I was excited about that. Yeah. You know, the dean himself is coming, and and he talked about zoo and wild animal medicine, and it's really the first um, I'd heard about that, and I was inspired, and I immediately knew that's what I wanted to do for my career. Oh, interesting. It was one of those just clicks, you know, just yeah. boom. I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I had an opportunity to go up afterwards and talk to him, and, um, you know, I, I was young, and I was thinking, I've got an opportunity to make an impression here. So I was thinking, what will tell him that I really want to do this, and Maybe he'll remember me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I said, um, I know I'm cut out for this kind of thing because I like to work with animals more than I like to work with people, which I thought was a clever statement. <laughs> and he looked at me. <laughs> he listened intently. You know, he was a very kind man. And his kind of his eyes went from interest to concern. <laughs> and I remember it to this day. And he said to me, you know, in veterinary medicine, you have to like people as much as animals. Because if you don't, the animals will suffer as as well as the people. They will not they will not do well. And I took that um, kind of casually, but it kind of burst my bubble. Um, yeah. But I've thought about it over the years, and it really was. Um, uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of significance in that statement because it's not just uh, you won't get along with people or you know you can avoid people if you're a veterinarian that's not the case you have to work with people 
And um, if you don't do it well, it's not just your relationship with people that will suffer, which is turns out to be very important, but it's the animals themselves too. They will suffer for it too. So um, that's something that I uh, came became more meaningful me, to me over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. What do you think? Why do you think the animals suffer? Well, because um, people take care of the animals. Yeah. And if they're um, concerned about the somebody else is bothering them or something is bothering uh-huh. them about their work situation, the animals aren't going to get the best care that they uh. would otherwise. People get distracted, and even though we're all there clearly for the animals, um, when it comes right down to it, if we're not feeling well or if something is bothering us, we're not doing the best job that we could. And uh, that was the significance of that statement yeah. that he was giving me. Yeah. That's great, and what great advice, um, particularly at that point, yeah. you know, in your life and your, your, the building of your career. That's really great. Well, you have three principles for preventing conflict that you talked about in the blog. Um, and the first one, I, I'd just like to explore those a little bit more with you. Um, the first one was to have a servant leader mindset. How do you think one achieves a servant leader mindset? Well, that's a good question. I think having a servant leader mindset is it, it's it's the key to making uh, to to preventing conflict. It's just what you have to have. It's a state of being. It's not something you actually do necessarily, but it's a state of being. And it's really having that um, outward uh, mindset where you're where you're looking. Not at what people can do for you, but what you can mm-hmm. do for others, and um, that comes from humility, and uh, and and not being arrogant or having false pride. Those are all things that are easy to say, and most people recognize the value in it, but it's a lot harder to do and you, and to see it in yourself when you don't have it. But um, in the Servant Leadership Institute here, you you teach the the principles of what it takes to be a servant leader and and those are all good and that's uh, but it but it uh, it's really a state of mind I think and that's why I say a mindset yeah yeah um, Ken Blanchard talks about ego and he has an acronym for it that is edging goodness out right and that really is so true it, it is I think the where, where we see it all the time is ego and, and leaders um, thinking it's a strength, you know, having a strong mm-hmm, ego mm-hmm. and damage that it causes. Yeah. Is, uh, we can all see that too. Yeah. It's going on. It goes on all around us. It does. Um, so you write specifically about acting, and I loved this, acting with the interests of an owner, not merely a hired hand. Can you give us some examples of that? Yeah, in fact, um, that that same kind of situation that happened with the dean happened with uh, my boss or the CEO at the zoo um, years later. You thought I thought I would have I thought I'd learned it, you know. <laughs> but he, um, I was on the exec team at the time, fairly new, and we had a strategic plan where there was an implementation part of it, and he assigned me an implementation. To, to lead an implementation team, which I was pleased to do. But it wasn't anything about animals, and it was about 
the business. Uh, mm. It was about um, pricing and and public relations and marketing. And I, I I shook my head. What are you thinking? You know, <laughs> and he just he just I said, Are you serious? And he said, Yeah. And that's about our conversation. So I went off and did it, and um, and I found out I there were other departments other than animal health that were important. <laughs> before that, <laughs> surprise. I, yeah, before that, I was very uh, focused on animals and and what I could do for them, and I realized that the whole organization was was working towards that same end, and there were people who were quite good at what they did, and uh, it was a whole new world to me. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I realized it was um, it was the same kind of principle. You know, it's, I I was. Uh, still liking just animals and not liking people. And uh, he pointed out that in a very subtle way that uh, to really get ahead in this organization and to do what you want to accomplish for the animals, you have to have the attitude of an owner and see the whole organization and look for the the uh, benefit of the whole organization. Yeah. And that was a big lesson for me. And... Um, and before that, I, you know, I was, was kind of like a hired hand. I was just doing my job that I thought was uh, what I was hired for, not looking at the big picture. Yeah, I think that's a, a really important point of recognition that employees hopefully go through, right. and that is making that transition to, um, you know, it is about more than just my specific responsibilities and my nine to five, whatever it may be. And I really need to look deeper, you know, even to the, even to the point of, you know, picking up the trash on the floor, Yes, you know, um, is more acting like an owner. Yes. In fact, when we walk around the zoo, that's exactly the, um, that tells a lot about the people who work there. If they step on a piece of paper or pick it up, it's, uh, yeah. It's it's exactly that. You're looking at the whole whole picture. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. So, the next principle that you talk about is building trusted relationships, and we all, we all know how huge that is. But my question for you is, how do you think we trust someone that we don't know? Well, that's always a question. <laughs> the, the, it's, it's a how who who starts the who starts to build a trusting relationship? You know, I don't have any reason to trust you, so why should I? Um, but somebody said, I wish I remember who, um, the best way to, f- to find out if you can trust somebody is to trust them. Yeah. You know, find out if they're trustworthy, you, you trust them. And there is some risk in that. You have to do it smartly, like uh, Stephen M. R. Covey says. Uh, smart trust is, is not... Um, it's not naive, you know, mm-hmm. but you can um, best trust, best find out by trusting people, and and taking that risk. And when when you do, it's surprising how that develops that relationship, how that builds a relationship. Yeah. Of trust. Yeah, I I worked with someone um, once who had a real issue with this idea of, you know, how do I trust somebody I don't know? How do I trust mm-hmm. the VP? Right. You know, when I don't know him or her. And when he when this concept clicked for him, he called it business trust. Wow. That idea of, 
you know, extending first, giving the benefit of the doubt until that person proves themselves trustworthy or not trustworthy. Right. But, but yeah, he called it business trust, yeah. which I thought was, was an interesting way of, of thinking about it. Um, you also talk about a trust account in your blog. Can you tell us the, about the concept of the trust account? Yeah, that's something I really got from our trainers, our animal trainers, because they use this term, a trust account. Um, it's something they have to continually feed into a relationship with an animal because there's always going to be something that's going to uh, test that relationship. Mm-hmm. And if they've built up uh, a, a level of trust with an animal, it'll get them through these perhaps a difficult moment with the animal. And it's the same thing with people. You know, the, the more you build up that trust account, the, um, the better off you'll be when there's a, when there's a, um, a problem, uh, when a conflict comes up. You'll maneuver through that much better if you have built up trust with, with somebody. And um, the way the animal people do it is um, they uh, reward animals for the behavior that they want them to do. It's, it's um, positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, kind of the same thing that you do with people, right? You know, you, 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 uh, you try to build uh, that trust through positive interactions. So it's, um, I think it fits very well. And I like to use the, the kind of the line of trust idea. If you can be above the line and you have um, uh, people have confidence in what you're, what you're going to do, and that, that's really what trust is. It's confidence in somebody's actions, mm-hmm. that they'll be looking out for you. If you are above the line, you can, you can build up that trust equity and that balance, that, that uh, equity account or that, ba- or that trust account, and stay above the line. And, um, but if you drop below the line, it's just, uh, you, everybody's suspicious of what your mm-hmm. actions are. And that trust is low, so the trust balance is low. So it's trying to stay above the line of trust with with all your relationships, so that when there's a conflict that does come up, uh, you can maneuver through it better. Mm, that's a great great scenario. Um, I just to share for a minute. I watched recently a 60 Minutes program, and I don't know if you saw it or not, but they had the young woman who is considered um, to be the foremost falconer now. Oh. And in, and she t- goes and goes with the people out on the steps um, of Kazakhstan, where they're still living the same way they have for hundreds of years, and living with these falcons that they train. Right. And what they do to build this trust is, and they actually said those words, was the falcon will go out, make the kill, bring the kill back. The uh, Mongolian people take the skin to keep themselves warm, Mm -hmm. but the bird gets to eat the kill. Right. Always. So it it builds this relationship. Yeah, they're reinforcing that behavior. It was just the the greatest piece. It was really, really well done. And this young woman saw this, saw falconry, I guess, when she was just a teenager, fell in love with it. And now, basically, has dedicated her life to doing this. Yeah, wow, that's that's a great example. Yeah, uh, I, 
I had a little chair dysfunction there. <laughs> I have a I have a dog that we're trained to be a service dog. I have Parkinson's uh-huh. disease, so uh-huh. um, it, uh, we're training him to be um, stability and and work me through situations. And it's very much the same way. We have a, a good relationship. If I if I blow that from doing something that is um, harm, harmful to him, you know, he he'll back away. If I do things that he can consistently understand that I'm in it for his benefit mm-hmm. and uh, give him positive rewards for doing the right thing. Uh, I can just see him, that, that trust equity building up in him and uh, gets us through the tough times when they, when they inevitably will come. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really interesting. Are there, are there some other ways you can think of to build trusted relationships? I, I think the main thing is consistency. Um, doing doing those things that um, show people that you are uh, in it for them, and to do it consistently, because that's r- really what uh, leads to uh, confidence in the people will have confidence in you uh, if you do it consistently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a really important point. Well, our third principle is to create role clarity. And this is this is a tough one, yeah. I think, and because it has to be done continually. But what are some good ways to do this aside from having a good job description for somebody? Well, job description is really the just the start. Mm. It gives you an idea of what the expectations are for a job, but it doesn't get to the nuances of it. Right. And that's where I think uh, role um, fogginess comes in. Uh, most jobs you you work with dozens of people, some more closely than others, but if you, um, and, and there's going to be uh, confusion over who does what, right. in, inevitably, and a lot of times that can be worked out just intuitively, but sometimes it can't, and those are the things that lead to conflict. And um, my example of that uh, from my work was um, veterinarians working with curators. Curators are responsible for the animal collection. Veterinarians are responsible for the animal health of the collection. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's overlap there. And um, we're all in it for the animals. There's no doubt about that. We all want the best thing for the animals. But our perspectives are different. So there's some uh, decisions that have to be made uh, for, for animal care. And um, the veterinarians might think it ought to go one way, and the curator th- might think it ought to go the other way. So there's going to be a conflict. But what we've done is um, identify two roles, one for the advisor and one for a decider on critical animal care decisions. And we decide, we figure out ahead of time who's going to be the decider. And the other, one, other party is the advisor. Both of them are very important roles. But they're different, and if, if both of both of them think they're the the decider, there's going to be conflict. Hmm. Yeah. But if if one says no, you're the decider, but I'm going to give you all the advice I can to help you make that decision. There, they have some influence, or they're building influence, and uh, it minimizes the opportunity for um, confusion of roles, and therefore conflict. And do they work that out sort of ahead of time? Who's going to be in this situation? Who's going to be the decider and who's going to be the advisor? Exactly, yeah. 
So there, there are some curatorial functions like um, that are that are highly curatorial for uh, collection planning, uh, figuring out ha- what animals will be uh, in what places and for what purpose. Mm. That's a curatorial decision. But the veterinarians can advise based on experience and knowledge of diseases and illnesses and animals. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they're clearly the advisors, and they have a, a role to play, but they're not the deciders, so it's, it's very clear. There's other, others that are a little bit more um, uh, difficult. They're not as intuitive as that, I'll put it that way. So we have to decide ahead of time who's, who's going to be the decider and who's the advisor. Okay. And once you accept that, it's much easier to go through your day than it is trying to wrestle over control over who's the decider. Yeah, because you know what your role is. Right. Um, and do they switch places? Yeah, ever? sometimes they do. Uh, like uh, uh, veterinarians are, um, are generally responsible for quarantine. That is, animals that are incoming, uh, they go through a process of quarantine. And it's usually done at the hospital under veterinarian supervision. So those are that's one where the veterinarian is the decider, mm. but they don't do it in isolation. They do it in, um, in they do it in advice from the curator. So there it's it's um, it's switched. Interesting. That's really fascinating. Um, well, before we uh, we ro- wrap it up today, I want to ask you a question, which is something that you posed in your blog. What can you do today to prevent impending quarrels from damaging relationships and hampering your purpose in life and at work? Well, I, I think the, the point of that is that it, it does, these conflicts do hamper your work. Mm. They, they get in the way of good things happening. Um, healthy, there is healthy conflict where things are worked out um, better because the two parties have different different points of view, but they're mm-hmm. worked out. Um, that's healthy conflict. Uh, but unhealthy conflict is best prevented, and I, I, I think we've talked about some of the ways to do that, but one of the analogies I like to use being a veterinarian is, is preventing disease. We, we, one of the ways to prevent disease is vaccination. And right now is hopefully people are getting their flu shots for that very purpose. It doesn't eliminate the influenza, um, but it reduces the severity of it, mm-hmm. and it uh, makes it possible to carry on and, and not get as sick. Um, and that's exactly what these things you can do to prevent uh, conflict will do. It will uh, decrease the, the severity of it. You know, conflict is a reality. It's not something that we can totally avoid. But it's something that we can uh, maneuver better through if we uh, take some of these preventive measures ahead of time. Right. So what I'm hearing you say is, you know, we can reduce that conflict by having a servant leader mindset, building trusted relationships, and creating role clarity. Right. Yeah. yeah. Those are, that'll, that'll help. There's lots of other things you could probably do too, but I think those are key. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Well, Don, it's been a joy to have you here, as always. Well, thank you again. It's uh, fun to talk about these things. Yeah, and I hope that you'll come back and see us again and continue to write your great blogs. 
And you can find this blog that I've been talking about. It's called Preventing Conflict by Learning to Like, like People on the Servant Leadership Institute website. And um, also, this a lot of what we've been talking about this time and the last time Don was with us um, is really also discussed in his wonderful book called Upside Down Leadership. Zoo Veterinarians, a zoo veterinarian's journey to serve leadership. And you can find that book at www.shopzoo.com. Well, as always, it's been a pleasure talking to everybody today. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Don, thank you for being here. And it's SLI signing up. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Registration for our upcoming 2019 Servant Leader Conference is open. The theme this year is, Are You Able? It's a simple question that holds a lot of weight. Visit our website at www.servantleadershipinstitute.com to get all the details about how to register. Thank you once again for allowing us to add value to your day.